Band, thank you all so much. Thank you very much. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Thank you all again for being here today. Love January, man. I love it. We got some pretty weather coming up. Isn't that great? It's exciting. The next three or four days. For those of you that like to hike, it'd be a good hiking time. For those of you that like to stay inside and just pretend you're hiking, it'd be a good time to do that as well. Big football games today. Anybody cheering for any team? All right. I want to remind you that uh, Super Sunday, uh, we're going to also be having, uh, that is February the 1st, right? Believe that? We're almost to February. February the 1st, Super Sunday, we're going to be also celebrating the third birthday of the hills. So, and that's great because we're, we're ending our 21 days of devotion, fasting, and prayer. So we're going to have lots of cake, all right? So cake, gluten full, sugar full, dairy full. So it'll be out there. So it'll be fun. Uh, also, we want to encourage you to, whatever team you're going to be cheering for that day, to wear your team colors. And if you don't care, just wear your favorite team colors. It doesn't matter. So that'll be a fun, fun day. We're going to be doing some giveaways I'm excited. There's one thing I've wanted to give away for a long time, and no, it's not my children. It is, it's something I've wanted to give away for a long time, and we've special ordered it, and it'll be here. So we're going to have a really cool giveaway, so you don't want to miss that. Everybody say Super Sunday. We're going to be having a fun, fun time that day. Uh, we started a series on the first week. I want to make sure we're recording today. I know we always do, but this is very important today. Uh, I tweeted this a little bit ago, that every sermon, every message is important, but I feel like today's message is very pivotal. I believe it's not pitiful, pivotal, all right? Very pivotal, not only for our church, but also for this city. I really believe that God has asked, has called us as a church, as I said last Sunday, not to be the greatest church in Nashville, not to be the biggest church in Nashville, not to be the coolest church in Nashville. God has called us to impact Nashville in the way he's called us to impact it. For us to do what we're called to do. And if we end up being the biggest, coolest, greatest, that's fine. But our goal is to do what God has called us to do. I believe this message today has a lot to do with what we're supposed to do to be as a church. And and Kristen, uh, we've been married for July, will be 22 years, and We've been in ministry that full-time. Mom uh, knows this, married to a pastor and, and been around me long enough. But there are some times that I, when I know that I've got to speak and I know there's something strong that God wants me to bring. When I say strong, don't be scared today. But I know that it's something that just has to really be delivered, that it's heavy. And Kristen woke up this morning, you okay? What's going on? She could just see that something was happening today. And so... I, I want to thank you for being a church that makes it easy to preach. I love preaching at this church. I used to travel all around the country, and I promise you, I don't care about going anywhere. I love being right here preaching at this church. So, are you all ready today? We started a series the beginning of January called 2015, the year of dot, dot, dot. And the first week we talked about it's the year of the Lord. And then last week we talked about it's the year of devotion well, today, I want to dive into another, another portion of this that I feel like is going to really speak to us today. Luke chapter 4, 
has been our scripture text. And uh, verse number 16 is where we started. And if you're taking notes, you can just write Luke 4, 16 through 21. And the story says that Jesus comes to Nazareth where, Nazareth where he had, had been raised. And he shows up there at the temple. And it happens to be Isaiah Day at the temple. And so he grabs the Bible and he begins, grabs the, the book of the law and begins to read. And here's what he says in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year. Everybody say year. The acceptable year of the Lord. The past two weeks, we've talked about the fact that we all name our year. We say, this is going to be the year that I, this is the year that we. But this scripture says that Jesus is the only one with the authority to name the year. He has the authority, the anointing to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Last week, if you weren't here, you can get it online, you can listen to it. But really quick, last week, we've, we talked about how do we know what God is saying about this year. How many could tell me the three L's? Could you tell me? Raise your hand. All right. Looking, listening, and leaning. Looking into his word. Looking around you. The signs will tell you what's going on. And then looking to the field because the harvest is ripe and ready. And then listening to his voice. What is he speaking? And one of the best ways you can listen to his voice is through the preaching, the word of God. And then leaning, leaning into him, leaning upon his chest as John did at the Last Supper, hearing the heartbeat of Jesus, and then leaning into his purpose. So in our text, Luke 4 and 16, Jesus was declaring who he was, and what he was called to do. Everybody, let me say that again. Jesus was declaring, he was making a declaration. All right, everybody, I want y'all to know, this is who I am, and this is what I've been called to do. And here they are. Here's my bullet points. Preach the good news of the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty the oppressed. All of these made possible because he was anointed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This was not the year that these things were supposed to be happening. But because Jesus showed up with the anointing to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, now all of these things can start happening. We'll talk about that a little bit more in this message and even more next week. So what he's saying is, because I have the authority to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, even if in the timeline this was not the chosen year, because I have the anointing to make it the chosen year, when I show up and say, this is the year, everything changes to become that year. Does that make sense? The anointing to proclaim the acceptable year year of the Lord. And as soon as he says, this is the year, what happens? It becomes the year. And then he sets down in our scripture text, you can read the next chapter, next verse, he sets down, everybody looks at him, and he says, today, everybody say today. Come on, take a deep breath and say today. He said today. Today. 
This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what he was saying is, it starts now. Now. It starts, boom. Now, not only was he declaring who he was and what he was called to do, but the Jewish audience would have understood that besides making a declaration of his ministry, he was also declaring that this was the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. According to Leviticus, don't turn there. You can write it down and do homework if you don't trust me. Leviticus 25, 8 through 13. (laughs) Every 50th year was a year of Jubilee. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But I I want to give you a a brief understanding of what the year of Jubilee is. And before you can really, we can really understand the year of Jubilee, we have to backtrack and understand the Sabbath year in Jewish culture. The Sabbath year was this. Every seven years, there was a law, and that law was this. The land has to rest. So for six years, you can sow, you can prune, you can cultivate, You can gather, you can weed, you can harvest. But after those six years, on the seventh year, the entire nation of Israel had to stop farming. It just all came to a halt. And so the land lay uncultivated for a year. Everybody say the year of Sabbath. The land has to rest. Let me give you a couple of reasons for this. One. It was a test of faith that God would provide for them. Because they were reliant on the previous six years of farming. So it was a test of faith. Just like Sunday is a test of faith, right? It's a test of faith to say, I'm not going to spend my day laboring. I'm going to spend some time in your house with your people, and I'm going to trust. It's like tithing and offerings. It's an act of faith. It's trusting that God's going to do more with the 90% or the, the 80% for those of you that give above your tithes. He's going to do more with that than he would if I had the entire 100. It's a test of faith. Secondly, it was a time of thanksgiving where they would spend time thanking God for all he had done the past six years. Next, it was a reminder that the land was not theirs. Man, isn't it amazing how entitlement just messes us all up because we start thinking it's our house and our family and our church and our city and our nation and our car and our money and our talents and our gifts and our mistakes And yet the scripture was saying, you give it a break because I want to remind you, this is not your land. I'm letting you live on it, but it ain't yours. Sometimes God says ain't. Next, it was a Sabbath for the land. It let the land rest. And any of you that know anything about farming, which I don't, but I have read and Googled many things, Anybody can tell you that you need to give the garden a break every once in a while. And so that's what it was doing. It allowed the land to rest. It allowed the land to recuperate. It allowed the the land to breathe again. And then when it shows back up on that year after the Sabbath, it produces a better crop because it had rested and they had been obedient to the word 
of God. Next, the Sabbath year was a Sabbath for man, a Sabbath for the farmers, for the gardeners. Can I see a show of hands for those of us that need to learn the art of resting? And the rest of y'all must be asleep because you aren't resting well any other time. To learn the art of resting. What about learning the art of not trying to prove our worth through our work? By how good we work, how long we work. Man, I get so tired of hearing people say, man, I just burned it all nighter and you won't believe I never sleep. Man, I'm just worn out. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I don't, that doesn't impress me one bit. That just tells me that you're headed for a cliff is all that says to me. We need to learn the art. And some of you that are business people or managers and songwriters, many of us put so much of our worth in what our work accomplishes. And a Sabbath year says to you, you need to take a break and trust that God is going to help you do this work. How many receive that word right now? That... Next, it was a Sabbath for God. It reminded them that God has already done the work. Man, if we could just get into that. When Jesus said it is finished, that's what he meant. The work is done. It is complete. Blood out. Death done. Resurrection done. Let's go. There is a finished work. The Sabbath for God. And then these next two, last two are my favorite. The Sabbath year allowed the poor to glean from the field, and it allowed the wild beast to come in and eat everything else that remained. Now, if you want to go more in depth with this, last year, about this time, I talked about some of these points, and I went a little bit more in depth. But I love this, the fact that the ones that were normally kept out, the poor people and the wild beast, the Sabbath year tears down all the fences, tears down all the walls, and says, whosoever will can come. What was just reserved for the rich landowners are those that made enough money to be able to harvest the land or buy the produce. Now, it doesn't matter who you are. Look at your neighbor and say, all the ground is level at Calvary. Doesn't matter who you are, what you're done, how poor you are, or baby, how wild you are. The Sabbath year opens up everything. How many of y'all thought you were too wild for Jesus to ever sit beside you? I'm going to say it again. How many of you thought you were too wild to think that Jesus would ever let you in his field? How many still think you're too wild? How many thought you were too poor? You weren't good enough. You didn't have enough. You didn't raise your hand. That's the power of the Sabbath year. It reminds us, I don't care who you are, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. Come on. Everything is open for you. And here's what I love. So when Jesus is saying to them, these are the people, this is who I've been sent to. The Jewish people understand that. And what wrecks their world is that they were waiting on a Messiah to show up at the perfect time on a white horse. 
You know what I mean? Coming in as Superman, as the Savior. They didn't expect the homeboy Jesus to show back up where he had been raised. Hey, I'm Jesus. I think I remember you. Wasn't your daddy a carpenter? And your mama got pregnant with you out of, oh, my goodness. That's you? And he shows back up and just rocks their world. And this is what changes for them. It wasn't the acceptable year for them. They weren't ready for it. But because Jesus showed up and at that moment said, this is the acceptable year, the doors begin to be flung open. As Shine mentioned a, a few moments ago, in just a little while, the veil would be rent and anybody could come in, not just the priests who were holy, but now anybody that walks in the just humility and says, God, I need your grace, can find it in the throne room. They can come boldly tore it all up. And so they understood what he was saying when he said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. They're like, okay, he's saying this is the year of Jubilee, which means, first of all, we got to let the land rest, which means we got to let the wild beast come in. And we got to let the poor people come in. And then Jesus says to them, here's who I'm sent to, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. The Sabbath year was meant to give everybody a break. Aren't you ready for a break? How many could use a break today? Just a break. And then every seventh Sabbath year, so remember, every seventh year is a, and then count seven Sabbath years, and the following year, which was the 50th year, Things went to a whole nother level. Because not only was it a Sabbath year where all those things I just listed happened, the land rested, but now it added on three more components. The year of Jubilee. The Sabbath year, the, the land would rest. But number two, property was reverted back to its original owners. So if you lost some property, at the end of that 50 years, it came back to you. Matter of fact, if you read it there in Leviticus, you'll find that even the way they bought and sold property was predicated on this law. The price and the cost of property would say, okay, how many years do we have left till Jubilee? Okay, then we're going to knock the price down or raise the price, all right? Everything was based on this law now. The, the land, the property, was reverted back to its original owners. So if your family got in trouble and you lost it or you got sick and got on and on and on, at the end of 50 years, it came right back to you. How many think that's a good law? Number three, debts were remitted. Can I get an Amen. Right there, I should have some of y'all like, "Wow!" <laughs> and that would have been the Baptist folks. Can you imagine what the Pentecostal folks would have done? Debts were remitted. That meant no matter how much you owed, stamped, paid, gone. What, what? And number four, slaves were set free. 
Woo! Slaves were set free. The land rests. Property goes back to its original owners. Debts are remitted. Slaves are set free. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, and the oppressed. Now listen carefully. Every bit of this, from the Jubilee year to Jesus making his proclamation, was about destroying prejudice and reminding us that we are one people under God. I don't think it's a mistake that we're on the eve of us celebrating Martin Luther King Day. I believe that we are at a pivotal time in our country. Political division, racial division, religious division. We're not only at a pivotal time in our country, we are at a pivotal time in our world. Wars, financial instability. I know things feel good in America right now, but it is shaky all over the world right now. Financial instability, terrorism. It is a pivotal time for us. I want you to listen to me today. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I don't want you to go quiet on me. This may be one of the most important words that I ever bring to our church. I'm excited about next week. I really am. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about next week. But I want you to focus right now. First Peter says that judgment begins at the house of God. And so before we can ever preach to the nation, we have to get God's house right. And as pastors, Chris and I, our job is to make sure that this house is in order so that we can be what God has called us to be to this city. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Kristen can tell you, last week during my prayer time, I saw myself in a way that I've never seen myself before. I saw myself speaking to city leaders and business leaders. Never seen that before, but I saw something happen in me. Little did I know that today I would be speaking on this subject today. This began, this started, God started dropping this in me. I was going to talk about freedom and all that other stuff that we'll get to next week. But God began to deal with me. So I want you to help me out this morning. I want you to let me speak to the church. And then if it resonates to the nation, to our city, to the world, then so be it. But I want to preach to the church for just the next few minutes. Okay, is that all right? Next Sunday, I want to talk about the joy and the beauty and the freedom of Jubilee. So y'all invite some folks, all right? We're going to talk about the joy, the beauty, and the freedom of Jubilee. And here's what I'll tell you next week. I'm not going to tell you this week, but I'm going to tell you next week, okay? So you're not hearing this right now. This is the 70th year of Jubilee. Now, if you don't think there's something on that, 2015 is now the 70th year of Jubilee. If you don't think God's getting ready to do a work in his body, but you didn't hear that today, okay? That's next week. We're going to... Next Sunday, I want to talk about the joy, the beauty, and the freedom of Jubilee. But today, I want to talk about what it takes to have Jubilee. Because a moment ago, when I said properties reverted back to its original owner, people's like, yeah. I'm getting my grandma's house back. 
I'm getting those songs that that person stole from me back. I'm getting my catalog back. I'm getting my invention back, right? I'm getting my on and on and on. How many felt something? You knew what I was talking about. Raise your hand. All right, if not, get ready for next week because that's what we're going to be talking about next week, all right? We, we love that. Properties reverted back. Debts are remitted. That was the biggest one right there. And slaves were set free. We rejoice about that. We love that. The ones that have lost, the ones, listen to me, don't miss this, the ones that have lost land, the ones that are in debt, and the ones that are enslaved, love the year of Jubilee. But what about the guy that owns the land? And what about the guy that has the debt owed to him? And what about the one that has slaves and servants who work for him? Jubilee cannot come until we learn how to give, how to share, how to love, how to forgive. We all want our property back, but who wants to give property up? We all want to be set free, but we all want someone working for us. We all want our debts to be forgiven, right? But we all want someone to pay us back. But the year of Jubilee says before it can start the freedom and the joy and the beauty, there has to be a change of our heart that says, I am willing to share. Jubilee says it's not mine in the first place. And just a moment ago, I asked your permission to speak to the church and maybe it resonates to the city and to the nation. I also want to ask you to let me speak to religion and if you can equate it to racism or bigotry or terrorism or whatever else, then you can do that. I'm going to preach to the church and then we can let it echo to the nation if that, because I ain't a politician, I'm a pastor. Man's religion says that you owe, you owe, you owe, it's off to work you go. That's what religion says. You're never going to be good enough. And you show up and they say, well, I had to put a dime in the meter. You got to put a dime in the meter, right? Man's religion charges interest and it will never, ever, ever be enough. That's what religion does to us. It continually tells us you are not good enough. And that's why I say that religion, man's religion, not the kind that God wants, not what James talks about, pure religion, that is undefiled and takes care of widows and orphans and those that are in prisons, the poor, the oppressed, the things that Jesus was after. But I'm talking about man's religion, the way we take it and make it what we think it's supposed to be. Religion, racism, terrorism, go on down the line. Every single one of those are about prejudice. It says this, I deserve more than you. On both sides. I deserve more than you because of the color of my skin. Or I deserve more than you because I've been in slavery. I deserve more because of what I've accomplished. 
That's why I'm driving the nice car in the big house. I work for it, baby. I deserve more because my mom and daddy put me through this and did that. I deserve more. Or I deserve more because what I have endured. Either side is prejudice. And either side, you owe, you owe, you owe. It's off to work you go. And I had people ask me, where do you stand? You pastor a church that's multi-generational, that's multiracial, that's multicultural. Where do you stand when riots are breaking loose? Where do you stand? And I remember the scripture that says, Joshua asked the angel, whose side are you on? And he said, neither. I'm on the side of the Lord. That's where I stand. On the side of the Lord. Oh, that's easy for you to say. No, it ain't. That's a hard side to be. It's easier just to pick a side. To stand in the middle, you get it from both ways. But God has called our church, the Hills Nashville, to be a junction, to be a place where heaven and earth come together, black and white come together, Asian and Hispanic come together, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Catholic, Charismatic, whatever you are, can come together in this place and find grace. But not just grace, truth. John says this, John 1, 14, that Jesus showed up and he was full. Is it up there? Read it with me. Say, full of grace and truth. You ever notice you can never have a glass full of two things at the same time? If you pour half water and half tea, what do you got? Half water, half tea. It doesn't matter if it mixes up into light kind of murky mess. But Jesus was full of both. That means he never compromised one for the other. So when it was time to speak truth, he spoke truth with grace. And when it was time to give grace, he gave grace with truth. I forgive you your sins, now don't sin anymore. On the cross... What you've said is truth, thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Truth, grace. One of my favorite passages of scripture. One of my passages of scripture. One of my my favorite stories. Lord, forgive me for saying the story was a passage of scripture. One of my favorite stories is these guys that show up to heaven and they're all talking about how they got there. And if you've heard it, stop me. No, don't. These guys show up and one of them's like, well, man, I was was a faithful husband and and I, I cared for my family and all my kids. Got, got raised and got married and all their kids are saved and, and one of them is going to the mission field. And man, that's, that's how I got to heaven. Oh, that's awesome, man. How about you? Well, I was a pastor. I pastored a church and, and uh, man, I pastored a great church and it grew and many people came to the Lord and my wife still loved me after all that and my kids are in the ministry and they're doing great and that's how I got to heaven. Well, how about you? Man, I don't know. All I know is I was hanging on a cross, and he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That's all I know. The power of truth and grace. What if we could be a church that spoke both? What if we could be a church that walked that line where we told, we said what the word of God does, but we did it with such graciousness and loving kindness and care 
that it was life-giving and life-changing. The prejudice has to end on either side. We honor our police officers today. We honor you. We honor our government officials today. We also honor our minorities today. We honor those who have struggled and worked and done everything they can to get to where they are. We honor immigrants today that have done everything they can. We honor those families that have been in this country for years and worked and bled and sweat and, and on and on and on. We honor every bit of that. How can we do that? Because it's the house of God, and that's what the house of God is about. The story of the prodigal really shouldn't be called the story of the prodigal. I don't think. Don't worry, I'm not going against the word of God there. They put the title in there, okay? I really think it should be just called the story of the house of the father. Because there's so many other illustrations. The elder son, remember him? What did he say? How dare you kill the fatted calf for him and throw a party for him when I've been with you the whole time? What was he saying? A boy... You owe, you owe, you owe. It's off to work you go. And the father said to him, the elder son, Son, don't you know that everything I have is yours, but you're so busy working for it and making sure that everybody else is working for it that you've missed the party and the fatted calf. You could have had this every night if you'd have wanted it. But he was so busy, you owe, you owe, you owe. The prodigal son, prior to his pig pen experience, had the same attitude. Daddy, you owe me. Give me my inheritance. No, I hadn't worked for it. I haven't done anything for it, but give it to me. I want it, I want it, I want it. You see what I'm talking about? The two sides. The people that stand in the house of God and they look at those that come in, the wild beast and the poor and the ones that we don't understand and we don't get and we judge them and say, how dare they come in and think they can just get up on a stage or how dare this can happen or that can happen or they take my spot, how dare that happen? They haven't paid enough or sacrificed enough. I'm speaking to the church and maybe it resonates to a nation. And then on the other side, Folks that just show up entitled. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. What's the church going to give me today? Good songs, good sermons. Huh? Come on, whoa, 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 what do you got for me? It has to be eradicated. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no record of wrong. We've all been wronged. You've been hurt by pastors and I've been hurt by people. Right? People have been hurt by cops, and cops have been hurt by people. People have been hurt by politicians, and politicians have been hurt by people. Love keeps no record of wrong. And we love quoting the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. And then there's that screaming, as we forgive our debtors. Oh, no. We always think it's forgive, we'll forgive us our debts and we'll forgive our debtors. No, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say something to you. We have the potential to see Dr. Dream, Dr. King's dream come true in this place. We do. But more importantly, we have the potential to see Jesus' dream when he said, make them one, Father, as you and I are one. We have the potential to see Jesus' dream come together right here. This is what we've been called to do. We have folks ask us all the time, what are y'all? Y'all a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church, you a word church, you a worshiping church? What do y'all believe in? The gifts of the Spirit, the signs? What do, you, what do y'all, y'all believe in? in? In catechisms, what do y'all believe in? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That's it right there. <laughs> if it's in the Word of God, we want it. Communion, yeah. Speaking in tongues, uh-huh, some of us do that. Healings, miracles, yeah. Walk, walking in the fruit of the Spirit with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness. And yeah, we want that too. We want it. We want to be that kind of place. I want to remind you that 2015 is going to be the year of Jubilee. But it's going to take you and I having a heart that is after the things that God is after. We've got to have a heart for the brokenhearted. We've got to have a heart for the poor. We've got to have a heart for the captives. We've got to have a heart for the blind. We've got to have a heart for the oppressed. Now, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Where does this touch you? Is it because you have expected something? Is it because you haven't forgiven? Is it because we feel entitled? Is it because you battle with bitterness? And I'm looking at some of you that are owed a lot. You're owed a lot. Some of you, somebody took something away from you when you were a child. They took it away. And let me say something. They're never going to give it back because they don't have the power to do it. Some of you, it happened a few weeks ago. Some of you made a mistake. Oh, man, I shouldn't have been with that person. or I shouldn't have made that deal. And now you're in the middle of that. And let me just say something. For the most part, they're never going to pay it back. I know you want to. But your anger and your bitterness and your resentment and you wanting them to have to pay back some way, even if it's not to you, somebody find out what they did. Nine times out of the ten, it ain't going to happen. But what if right here today, all of us just said, you know what? So what? Today, I'm making a decision that I'm going to forgive this. I'm going to forgive what you did to me, to my mama, my daddy, my grandpa, my grandma. I'm going to keep on going back. I'm going to erase that. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the potential to start a super race. Right here. What if we, with all of our backgrounds, all of our different feelings and Cultural ideas could come together under one focus, and that is proclaiming the power of the gospel. What if we could do that? Imagine the body of Christ that would rise up. 
What if? What if? And let me ask you this. In the immortal words of the prophet Russell Wilson, why not us? I mean, do not know what I just said. Raise your hand. Quarterback for the Seahawks. Why not me? Isn't that what his daddy told him all the time? Why not you, boy? I know you're too short. I know. Why not me? Look at your neighbor and say, why not us? Why does it have to be another city? Why does it have to be another church? Why does it have to be another family? Why not us? Oh, man. Let's stand. I was lost with a broken heart. You picked me up, now I'm set apart. From the ash, I'm born again, forever safe in my Savior's hand. In the midst of the darkest night, let your love be the shining light. Breaking chains that are holding me, you sent your Son down to set me free. Ladies and gentlemen, we are free and free indeed if we will fully accept what he is giving us today. How many received that word this morning? receive it